0: How's everybody doing? All right. (laughs) All right. All right, let's get started. My name is Moise. Welcome to the Chasing the Chip podcast, episode two. Today, we're going to be talking about big move the Washington football team made, and that is hiring a general manager in Marty Herney, as well as Martin Mayhew to an undisclosed role. That uh, somewhere high ranking in the front office. So, my initial thoughts are not great. <laughs> Marty Herney is not very good at his job. From what we can tell in prior uh, in prior experiences, he had two stints as the general manager of the Carolina Panthers. I think both times were with Ron Rivera. I'm not 100% certain on that. Uh I know the he, uh he was definitely there Cam's rookie. I think he was the one that drafted Cam, so he was definitely there uh for the for a majority of Ron's tenure. I don't remember who the other one was. Uh, Ron had fired him at, or the uh the owner of the Panthers, previous owner who I don't remember the name of, had fired him at one point and then he was rehired for God knows what reason. But now we're stuck with him. So I tried to go back and, as an optimist, find a silver lining with the hernie pickup. I struggled, but I did a lot of research to at least compare him to Kyle Smith. So what I ended up doing was writing down everything when it came to Kyle Smith because his tenure here was not that long. On operating under the assumption that he's gone, which J.P. Finley speculated on his podcast. So um, operating under that assumption, I went back and looked at every Jaff class that Kyle Smith was here for, because I believe he, was, uh, he became the director of college scouting in 2017, became the vice president of player personnel last year. So he has a lot to do with, these, with the drafts dating back to 2017. Marty Herney had about 10 to ten years of uh, draft experience, so I didn't get to look at every single draft class and do an in-depth study of every player. But I wrote down some names that I thought were good and some names that I thought were bad. So let's just start it off with the Kyle Smith analysis because I think there's this notion, at least on Twitter and general fan consensus, that Kyle Smith is this... Draft guru that we can never let go; otherwise, he'll be an emerging star elsewhere, a lot like Sean McVay, coaching wise. So, looking back at his draft classes, I don't see that. I think he had some very, very solid hits late, which are definitely, which are definitely um, encouraging to say the least about his potential as a talent evaluator. I don't think that's really in question. So I'm just going to read out the actual the hits first. So every first rounder that he has drafted, aside from Haskins, which was a Dan Snyder pick, was a success. John Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, Chase Young. Those are all really good players, and that's the strength of our team. Heart and soul right there. So every first rounder under Kyle Smith was really, really good. When you start looking down the lists is when you get a little shaky. So in 2017, the big find was Chase Roulier, which I was a fifth or sixth rounder. Then moving on to, and that was really it. The rest of that draft class was Ryan Anderson, Fabian Moreau, P. Ryan, Monte Nicholson, Jeremy Sprinkle, Robert Davis, which were, I think, also Josh Harvey Clemens and Joshua Holsey, which is pretty rough. That's two hits, one of which is in the first round where you're supposed to hit. So that was, you know, it's off to a rough start. But that's, you know, being a young front office executive in your first year, you can excuse having a shaky start. So then you move on to 2018. 2018, you got Deron Payne, round one, Tim Settle, round five. Those are the hits. When you move on to the misses of 2018, (laughs) second round, Darius Geis. Third round, Jaron Christian. Fourth round, Troy Apke. Sean Deon Hamilton. Seventh round guys are always a struggle to hit on. So that is Greg Stroman and Troy Quinn. He was not making all of the draft decisions in 2017 and 2018. I will grant you that. However, he was the highest-ranking draft official in the room. Bruce Allen ended up having final say, and Snyder, unfortunately, had a lot of say. However... When you go deep into the draft past round one, I don't think Dan Snyder's looking for a lot of names there. I don't think Bruce Allen's looking for a lot of names there. I think that's based on Kyle Smith's big board and his uh, draft board. So then you go to 2019. 2019 was so far his best draft. First round, you got Montez Sweat and Haskins, which was, uh, which was the Dan Snyder pick, of course. Then you trade up for Sweat. Which I maintain to this day. I think we slightly overpaid to move up to twenty-six. I was looking at the uh, at the draft cap um, quantitative chart. I guess you can call it. That was worth seven hundred points. The two seconds we were we had traded ended up being worth a upper five hundreds between the two of them. So we ended up paying a thousand hypothetical draft points for a pick worth about seven hundred hypothetical draft points. I don't know. It could have been a scenario where other, where the Indianapolis Colts were listening to other calls and we had to outbid. And in that scenario, I find it completely acceptable because Montez Sweat is one heck of a player. But it's still a little bit of an overpay, in my opinion. But then we go down the list once again. Didn't have a second-round pick because of Sweat. So then third round, we had Terry. Then we had Holcomb round five as another hit. Then you can throw maybe Harmon or Warland as potential hits. Moreland isn't really a great corner, but, you know, he can contribute And as a seventh-round, second-year player. That's more than you'd expect. Harmon, we still need more time on, so I won't stick him in misses, and he showed me a lot in uh, the limited time he played last year. Then you move on to the misses. Bryce Love, Wes Martin, Ross Pierce-Baker, and Jordan Brailford. Eesh. Not great. Wes Martin and Ross, Pier- Ross Pierce Baker is no longer with the organization. Wes Martin couldn't beat out Wes Schweitzer this year. Rough look. Bryce Love probably not going to play a snap in the NFL, unfortunately. Now, it's hard to blame him for that pick because Love was so good in college pre-injury. But man, oh man, a fourth-round pick on a guy who's never going to take a snap just feels so bad. Then we move on to this year, where it's almost too soon to tell with anybody except for Chase Young and Cameron Curl and Antonio Gibson. Those are the three. Young, obviously stud, easy pick. Gibson and Curl, a little bit rougher. Uh, A little bit uh, of, rather, diamonds in the rough. Those are great picks. Gibson gave you 11 touchdowns his rookie year. Cameron Curl, best rookie safety in the class over guys like Jeremy Chin. I think debate kind of goes away when you actually look at the stats and the way they play. But even then, that's that's iffy. And uh, Antonio Gandy Golden, another miss. Sadiq Charles, uh, it, Antonio Gandy Golden, a miss in my opinion. I did not like him coming out of Liberty. I did. I do not like him after seeing his limited action in the NFL, and I don't think he's going to produce at a good level in the NFL. Sadiq Charles is still somebody I hold out for, but I don't expect anything of. The same goes for Khaliq Hudson and Keith Ismail. If our O-line was a strength, so I'm going to hold out. I'll I'll hold out on saying Ismail's a bust, but it's a fifth-round pick, even if it is a bust. You know, it's a swing and a miss. That's completely acceptable. The second-round stuff is more of what's concerning me. Ryan Anderson, Darius Geis, no seconds. That's what we've gotten out of Kyle Smith. Those are not great. When you look at Herney, most of his hits come in round one or round two at the latest round three, and then he gets nothing later on. Just looking through, I looked through pretty much every draft class that he was there and just wrote down names that stood out to me. First and foremost, Julius Peppers, I think was his first ever draft pick as general manager of the Carolina Panthers. He's going to the Hall of Fame. That's a great pick. Then you got Thomas Davis, really good player for a really long time. Didn't produce this year, but he's like 35 years old. When you have, carve out a career as long as that, that's a huge success. Then you get a couple of running backs in D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. Both produced pretty well, I think, at a Pro Bowl level for the Panthers for at least two years. They, took, they were taken a little early, so reaching on running backs is a problem he has. Christian McCaffrey was a uh, Gettleman pick, though, I believe. Not 100% certain on that. Uh, then you move on to guys who are... Oh, and Cam Newton, of course. Cam Newton, I think, but that was kind of a slam dunk pick. Luke Keekly, also. Another one that's a little bit of a slam dunk pick, both of which... Both of them... Keekly likely goes to the Hall of Fame. Cam Newton was an MVP. Went 15-1. and won. Can't argue with his talent. Might be a little washed now, but definitely one of the great quarterback talents of our time then you go to guys like josh norman and captain munnerlin he took late and this one's not it hasn't panned out the way i think it will yet but troy prod all right i think we're back well that sucked all right where was i so then you move on to the corners (laughs) then you move on to the corners you got josh norman in the fifth round i think he was Captain Bunderland, round seven. Troy Pride Junior. Troy Pride Junior. is another person I believe will become a great player in the NFL. I don't know about great, but he's one. He strikes me as a similar, similar kind of deal as Josh Norman. I th- I really liked him coming out of the draft. I still think he's going to be a stud. He just had some injury issues and slid down in the draft. Then you go, guys like Dante Jackson, Greg Hardy, DJ Moore, Jeremy Chin. Outside of all those names, everyone else Marty Herney drafted was a miss. Every single one. And we know free agency-wise and contract-wise, he was never that great either. Paid Christian McCaffrey a ton of money to be injured and never play. Also, you never want to pay a running back. Even if it's Christian McCaffrey and he's playing at a super high level when, uh, made all pro at two different levels, it's not a good pick. Was James Bradbury a pick? I believe James Bradbury was also a pick uh, from Herney. He seems good at knowing corners, at evaluating corners and running backs. Outside of that, unless it's like a slam dunk, I'm not a fan of it. Christian McCaffrey was a great pick. The contract they gave him, the contract extension they gave to him, I will maintain, is not a good contract. You cannot pay that much to a running back, especially one that is injured as oft as Christian McCaffrey. So, what else? Um, Then we can move on to Martin. Like I said, Herney, I do think his fit here will be a little bit better than it was in Carolina, because here, I don't think there's any question that... Ron Rivera is the boss. Nobody has final say over Ron Rivera. So, to that extent, if Herney falls in line and is just another cook in the kitchen, I think this will work, and I think it'll be okay, because Ron Rivera has proven he knows what he's doing. Does he earn blind faith yet? No. He has not won a Super Bowl, he has not even won a playoff game. He's earned the benefit of the doubt, in my opinion uh but herney is just not inspiring i think is probably the right way to put it he's just not an entertaining hire in the slightest which can be a good and bad thing that gives you a sense of stability and it gives you a sense of you know this guy is competent and knows what he's doing but it's still just like we know what he is we know how, what his higher end is and we don't think it will take us to a higher level or to a a super high level i should say i think even when they were 15 and one that was a year gettelman was general manager and not marty herney so and he was never really a cons the roster was never consistent he never really got cam newton his wide receiver one until dj moore was there so there's just a lot To be pessimistic about with a Marty Herney hire. However, I think they make it better. I think the organization made up for it a little bit with the hiring of Mayhew. I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a 49ers fan. He was very, very disappointed they let Mayhew walk away. Mayhew's not this young upstart, he has plenty of experience in this league. He was the uh, general manager of the Lions for I think seven years, eight years, then got fired, moved on to the 49ers as a high level executive. And did pretty well, I would say. My buddy told me that he doesn't get full credit uh for their draft classes. It's kind of a mix between him and Peters. He handles a lot of the free agency aspects, which he did well on. When you land Richard Sherman from a rival, I'll always consider you a competent uh, general manager but even if he does have a modicum of draft uh, expertise and draft uh, I guess I want to say input those years in Detroit he had some pretty good picks Clay Averill Matt Stafford obviously Darius Slay Ziggy Ansah Eric Ebron was okay better since he left uh, and Dominic and Sue Kyle Van Noy, uh, Lakin Tomlinson, which he then traded to, uh, which he then traded, got, which he then established a trade to the 49ers, which, and he's been playing at a pretty high level. Then you move on to his days in San Francisco. You get guys like Ruben Foster, George Kittle, Fred Warner, Mike McGlinchey, Devo Samuel, Javon Kinlaw, and Brandon Ayuk. That's pretty solid. The hope is that. All three of Herney, Mayhew, and Kyle Smith will be working together on draft classes. And maybe Mayhew takes over for and Ron kind of handle the free agency. That would maybe be based on only what I can see. Obviously, we don't have like an in-depth personnel file on these people. It's just based off of our own uh, determinations from what we can l- hear them say at press conferences or watch their actions. So Rivera has proven he knows what he's doing. He took a three and thirteen team to the playoffs. Was competitive in a wild card game with Taylor Heineke at uh, at quarterback. And even in the free agency period, we don't know who was handling it for us this year. We know McKissick was pretty much a Scott Turner pickup. We know Peter Hayner, I think it was his name, the tight ends coach, was a Logan Thomas uh, pickup. Uh, And outside of that, we don't really know. Traditionally, that would probably be hired by Kyle Smith as the vice president of player personnel, or Doug Williams, who I think is president of player development, I believe is his role now. I don't remember his official title. But either way, I think a combined effort of Kyle Smith, Herney, and Mayhew could actually provide us with some competitive rosters. I think Kyle Smith has gotten better at drafting as he went on. Earlier on, it seemed like he had a rough start. But as as he went down, he had more hits, especially in the third round. Terry and Gibson, great picks. But it's just... It's hard to say Herney will hold us back, but it almost feels like that's going to be the case. And we don't even know what his role is going to be yet. So... If he's in a position to overrule any and all of what Kyle Smith has chalked up on his uh, draft board, that puts us in a rough spot. If he is just another person in the room operating on more business side with Jason Wright working closely with him, a lot of the business ops of the day-to-day stuff, I think it could work. If Mayhew is primarily focused on our free agency, can bring in a stud like. Uh, just as an example, I'm going to keep using Richard Sherman as a kind of leader in the locker room that can produce at a high level. I think we can be looking at a really good roster. And chat wants to talk about Deshaun Watson. So there was a report that came out, I think either today, Wednesday, or yesterday, Tuesday, that we would be a dark horse team. I believe the report was from ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. Uh, We would be a dark horse team in contention for Deshaun Watson. A couple of hypothetical trades I saw. One was from Michael um, Michael Phillips of the Richmond Times Dispatch on Twitter. He suggested Montez Sweat in two firsts. If that gets it done, I think you do it. Montez Sweat is a great player. He's a freak of nature. He should not be that big and move at that speed. But when you're trading for Deshaun Watson, who's maybe the third best quarterback in the league anything's up for grabs only two untouchables on the roster are Terry McLaurin and Chase Young everyone else give Houston what they want i would i think the ideal scenario is for some reason they love Landon Collins They you trade Landon Collins three firsts maybe to make salary and then do whatever you need to make salaries match if necessary. I think we have enough cap space to where we don't even need to do that exactly. Or, I don't want to trade any members of our defensive line. I know Jonathan Allen is a big name that fans love to trade, but he had a breakout year and is maybe our best interior, uh, our best most complete interior defensive lineman. I'd almost rather trade Matt Ioannidis than John Allen, even though last year I would have slapped myself in the face for thinking that. Allen is better in run support than. <laughs> Allen is better in run support than Ionitis is. Ionitis is a better pass rusher. That being said, Allen took a big step forward as a pass rusher this year. I think the new scheme under, I think his name is the defensive line coach Sam Mills. I think he thrived in that system, and he wasn't faced with as many one-on-ones or as many double teams as he was last year. And even when he was, he was winning double teams at a higher rate. So I think Allen is probably who you want to pay on the D-line. I would also work on a Duran Payne extension as soon as possible. but That's a side note. I That is, I don't know what the interest level of Houston is on these players, and I think that's your biggest problem. <laughs> No, unfortunately, I don't think they'll take Steven Simsville, <laughs> but I'll, uh, but maybe Landon Collins. Landon Collins was somebody who played in an all-pro level before, but coming off an Achilles tear, I think all general managers are a little bit wary of. Tim's Tim, uh, Tim Settle. Tim Settle would be an interesting one for trade. He also had a little bit of a breakout year. I believe he had five sacks. He's always been good in run support. I've always, I grew up around Tim Settle. Uh, <laughs> Played football against him one time and it was not a fun time. In Man- uh grew up in right here in Manassas, but I think if you have to trade a member of the D line, I think it has to be Ionitis. But I don't know if his trade value is high enough to get it there. And if Fowler said they want a star player in return for Deshaun Watson, I think the best case scenario is Landon Collins. I think the worst case scenario for the team is sweat probably because that's a that's a star player on a rookie contract and that's that cannot be undermined especially if jj watt is leaving that'll leave a pretty big void for them at edge rusher uh especially after Jadevian Clowney wasn't a real loss a couple years ago but you know <laughs> he was very hit or miss for them so we'll we'll call it a loss and say there, there would still be a hole at d end for the houston um texans Other trade packages are kind of rough. I think the hope would be they would just take picks and not want anybody on defense. Another name I would... You would maybe trade three firsts, two seconds, and a fourth. That was the name I was going to come up with as well, Tyler. Kendall Fuller, I think, is an interesting name in the scenario. He played really well this year. He had four picks in three games. Didn't really do a lot of that afterward. Still played the ball really well, had, had, had a few pass breakups. But corners are not easy to find. Houston, I think, would be in favor of taking a corner. And he's on under contract for three more years. If we can give them Kendall Fuller three firsts and maybe a fourth, I do that in a heartbeat, and I don't look back. Is that realistic? I don't know for sure. It would be pretty funny if we traded Kendall again after we uh for a quarterback specifically. Yeah, I was going to say that Dagger. <laughs> especially if we had um especially for another quarterback, but at least this time he's being traded for a better quarterback than Alex Smith was at that time. Alex Smith was coming off of his only 4000-yard season in his career, I think 12 years into his career at that point. Deshaun Watson threw 4800 yards this year. So That seems a little bit better, and he's only 25 and under contract for another five years. We don't need to extend him, just need to acquire him. I don't think Kendall's agent, or Kendall himself, would be very happy about it, but such is life in the NFL. (laughs) It's a business. I think Kendall Fuller is also on the younger side. Is he really only 25, Amari? That's kind of crazy. I remember he declared when he was pretty young, coming out of Virginia Tech. But I didn't realize he's still only 25. That that would be that makes us a little more interesting. Maybe it's a little bit more realistic than we're giving it credit for. I do I'm kind of talking myself into this one. Okay, so they get. I'm trying to think of any other scenarios where we can make a trade work. I don't think they would be willing to part with Chase Young because that makes your team as a whole weaker. And that's a local guy who everybody loves. I'm sure his jersey sales were high. I was trying to get one for my brother, but it was sold out for his birthday because he got me one for my birthday. Shout out to him he, He's such an elite talent that it would be really hard at a very premium position. Edge wrestlers are not easy to come by which is another reason I think sweat would make them a little more interested. But trading Chase Young for Deshaun Watson takes your top five defense, makes it maybe top 15, top 20, like I was talking about last week. But it gives you maybe a top four offense. You would need to sign another wide receiver. And you would need to maybe, maybe sign another O-lineman to start at left tackle. And you have the cap space to do all of that. So it's definitely possible. A trade up into the top 10 and then sending Houston that pick in a package. That's very interesting. Because that could help them draft Deshaun Watson's uh, next, his successor. Which is probably if we trade up into the top 10 at that range, it would probably be either Zach Wilson, Fields, or Trey Lance. I don't that's going to be heavily dependent on their front office being in love with one of those prospects. And I think if they wanted to do that, I think they would take Miami's offer, which would likely include the third overall pick. Because I, it seems more and more like he's going to end up a Dolphin. And it just kind of is what it is. But I'm not worried about it because of Martin Mayhew's connection to Matt Stafford. Martin Mayhew drafted Matt Stafford I think, first overall when he was in Detroit. If Stafford wants out, I would trade a first and a mid-round pick for Matt Stafford. That's a quarterback that's really, really good on not that expensive of a contract that you can win with. He's never once had a defense. We would He would come here and automatically our defense would have been the best that he has played with. It is a little bit of an expensive package that I put out there for Matt Stafford. I'll grant you that, Jalen. However, if he officially requests a trade, I think a bidding war might start. I think there's still Mayhew. T- Mayhew himself is no longer in San Francisco, but I think San Francisco still wants a quarterback, and I think they're going to do a lot to try to get one. Unless they're still happy with Jimmy G for whatever at this point, I'm not worried about overpaying if it means we are getting a franchise quarterback. We do have two-thirds this year, and I think if we offer our later third and a first, I think it gets it done. If we offer the second and a later third, I don't think it's enough because a bidding war might start. If I'm, I would love to be wrong. I would love to just get Stafford on the cheap, keep him here, surround him with talent, and go compete for a Super Bowl. I just don't see that necessarily being a realistic thing. They did just hire a new front office. We don't know the level of talent or competency they have. But it is still the Lions franchise. So we could try and offer a second and a third and hope it gets it done. But I still think it would... With a competent front office, you could get at least a first-round pick with Matt Stafford in, at the current stage of his career. Even when he's injured, he plays through injuries. And he plays at a high level, frankly. He played with a broken back and I still think, I I think still threw two or three touchdowns that game, which is bananas. I don't know how you stand up with a broken back, let alone complete passes in the NFL. That toughness mixed with the productivity takes us to immediate contenders. I think you get him a guy like Kenny Galladay or Curtis Samuel with Gibson and Terry McLaurin you talks to win the NFC. Hopefully Aaron Rodgers takes a step back and makes it a little bit easier because he's still insane and probably is still going to make the Super Bowl again this year. Always seems to make the NFC championship, even when it's not great. Trading up into the top 12 would be pretty decent. I would like to trade up to the top 12 or trading up to number 12 exactly, depending on which prospects are there. If a guy slides, we don't expect to slide. Maybe a Micah Parsons, maybe a Trey Lance, maybe even a Fields, potentially. You know, maybe the injury plus COVID causes him to slide down draft boards a little bit. I would trade up to 12 for Fields. Run Kyle Allen as the bridge quarterback because my buddy Mark, a.k.a. Ivan Fly, uh, says that Justin Fields probably needs a year, and I trust his opinion on quarterbacks. Seems like a smart guy. But with Kyle Allen or even Taylor Heineke as the bridge quarterback, or potentially Cam Newton or Jameis Winston, I think that that's a decent quarterback plan. And even if Fields isn't there, even if Fields isn't there, I think you get a guy. I'm trying to think who else is in the top ten. Maybe you get one of the receivers. You get either Devonte Smith or Jalen Waddle, which I think would be. Crazy good, especially with a Matt Stafford. I don't know how likely it is you're able to trade up to the top 12 and trade for Matt Stafford, but that is That is one heck of an offense we're talking about. With Jalen Waddell playing out of the slot, I think he plays out of the slot primarily. Or no, that's Devontae Smith, sorry. Um, With Jalen Waddell and Terry McLaurin, with Logan Thomas, McKissick, Gibson, that's one heck of an offense. You might still need a third uh, receiver just to kind of play out of the slot. Guy, I keep bringing up Josh Reynolds. I really hope we end up with him because I don't think he's going to be very expensive, and I think the Rams like Cooper Cup more than him, which they should. But even then, I think that that's a very capable team with a very high ceiling. Nothing is guaranteed in football, but I would, I think it would make us very, very good. Matthew with a better defense and a better wide receiver and a tight end can go very far. I don't know necessarily that we need another tight end. I would, I think Logan Thomas is a tight end one. I was completely wrong about him. I said he was a tight end three coming into the year. He was not. He's a capable tight end one. Tight end two is a problem, but we didn't run a ton of two tight end sets. Like Sprinkle was in there occasionally to block. Marcus Ball, I think, was on IR most of the year, so we never really got to see what he had. But even then, we were running a lot of 11 personnel rather than 12, or is it 21? Whichever one is the tight ends. Um, whichever one is the two tight end set. So I don't necessarily even think we need like a huge dynamic tight end. if we, If we find one in the draft, like a Brevin Jordan in the second or third round, I think that would be great. Or a Kyle Pitts at 19. Or even a Kyle Pitts back to the trading up to 12 scenario. I think that would be a good guy to trade up for. That's an elite type talent. And with that being said, I think we are going to go ahead and wrap up the Washington football talk and move on to some Wizards. So the Wizards have yet to play a game in the last week, which makes this a little bit harder. But there's still some talking points. So, Russell Westbrook, right after I recorded my podcast last week, literally two minutes after I stopped streaming, there was a report from Quentin Mayo of, I think, NBC Sports Washington saying there was a setback in his rehabilitation, or I guess just his injury, and he would be out three to four weeks. (laughs) That being said, Fred Katz disputed that, on his podcast, and said there was no setback. However, the re-evaluation is coming sometime this week, and we'll know for certain when he's coming back at that point. I don't know who I want to believe. Part of me wants to believe, Q, so I can rub it in the wizard's face, that they traded John Wall, even, them, even with them being... Uh, they traded John Wall thinking he was going to be unhealthy, and they traded for a point guard who was even less healthy. That being said, I don't want to root against my squad. And Russell Westbrook, even when he's having six turnovers a game, even when he's shooting 25%, he affects the game. He does affect the game. He gets gets his triple doubles. And sometimes, (laughs) sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. As long as he's not shooting in the fourth quarter, Russell Westbrook is a good player. And... (laughs) He does have a tendency to play outside of himself, and play a little reckless, turn the ball over, and lose games. <laughs> Ish Smith and Neto has been playing fantastic this year, so mine, yeah, let's start Neto and bench Russell Westbrook until further notice. That seems like a good plan to me. Let his quads heal, play him five minutes a game, see how it, see what happens. Let Neto go put up twenty and five. <laughs> But Russell Westbrook is Russ. He's not Russell Westbrook anymore. I don't even refer to him as Russell Westbrook when I'm speaking about him. I call him Number Four because he does not look like Russell Westbrook. He looks like some old washed point guard who, rather than do what he is talented at and finish at the rim, he takes mid-range jumpers. That could be the quad injury, which we know has been lingering since the bubble. So he's. It looks like he's lost explosiveness. The hope is just that his his as his quad heals, he will get that explosiveness back and be able to finish at the rim. Start dunking over people. Look a little bit more like Russell Westbrook. If that's the case, we probably make the playoffs and we'll be okay. Maybe be competitive in a playoff series or two. It's hard to say. Maybe Bradley Beal doesn't <laughs> doesn't request the trade at that point. Russ without explosiveness equals Ricky Rubio pretty much, but Ricky Rubio can actually pass without turning the ball over. So, I think it's actually worse. (laughs) So, we'll see. I think in the best case scenario, where Westbrook does come back and play at a high level, or at least looks like some semblance of himself, maybe 70, 80, maybe even 90% of himself, I think... Bradley Beal, at least, will stay here until next year, and we're not forced into trading him. And he'll potentially think about signing an extension. Because I still see guys like Rui and Denny playing really well. Rui played shakily, but, you know, he's still shaking off the rust. And he potentially has COVID. We don't know that for sure. We don't know any of the names who have COVID, I think, for HIPAA reasons. But Rui Hachimura and Mo Wagner were the first two to enter protocol. So if we if we had to guess, I would guess they might have been the first two. If he doesn't, if he doesn't look anything like Russell Westbrook and continues to look like number four, turn the ball over, shoot mid-range jumpers, a double the clip of his previous uh, career high, and I think he has one dunk in four games this year, which is very un-Westbrook-like, and I think that was a breakaway rim grazer that looked nothing like a Westbrook dunk. If he continue to, continues to play at that level. Oh, they did just release the list. It was Denny Avdia, Davis Bertans, Troy Brown, Rui, Ishmith, and Bo Wagner. And I think they also said one staff member. That's, that stinks. <laughs> That's a lot of your young guys who are missing out on practice time. I hope they're all okay, and I hope they are not sick. And I hope they're able to return to practice healthy and look like themselves as soon as possible. But back to Westbrook. Westbrook, if he continues to play like number four, I think we see Bradley Beal traded before the end of the season. I think Tommy Shepard has earned the benefit of the doubt outside of the wall trade to see he knows what he's doing in trades. I'm starting to think we might have got fleeced on that wall trade, but also, Wall has also not been playing very uh, very much. I think he has a knee problem. So they've been holding him out of the last few games as well. But he looks more explosive. He looks faster. And he looks like he can finish at the rim better than Russell Westbrook can. Which all mattered to me more. And he wouldn't turn the ball over six times a game. That's not who John Wall is. But if if you trade for Bradley Beal, I think Tommy Shepard has earned the benefit of the doubt to say he will get a good return for Bradley Beal. And even if we do have to trade Bradley Beal and enter a pseudo-rebuild, you can't really rebuild that well, as long as Russell Westbrook is under contract. And if he continues to play like Westbrook, number four, no one's going to want him on a $40 million contract for three years. So we're stuck with him. So we would still have a good head start on a rebuild. Denny Avdia and Rui Hachimura are two very good pieces that I think you will be able to build around in the future. Phil, the OKC... Th- <laughs> the Thunder cannot trade for Bradley Beal with Darius, Baisley, Diallo, and six firsts. I need, like... If we're trading Beal to OKC, I need all of you guys' firsts, all, like, trillion of them. I know you guys have a trillion, and you guys have wings that can defend. Give me Lou Dort. Give me Shy Gilgis Alexander. Give me six... Give me all billion of your firsts if you want Bradley Beal. I think a decent trade package for Bradley Beal would look a little something. If I had to guess, it would be from Denver because they're always very good. I think it would be Michael Porter Jr. There you go. Somebody's ahead of me in chat. I think it would be Michael Porter Jr., Bowl Bowl, Picks, and maybe a Gary Harris or something, whatever it takes to make a contracts match for Bradley Beal and maybe a Troy Brown Jr. or something of that nature. When you have Michael Porter Jr., Rui Denny, Potentially in that lineup with Denny playing point guard. That's a young team that will be able to compete in a couple years. I think with the likes of Jason Tatum and uh, or Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. MPJ, Monte Morris, Bowl Bowl, and 7 firsts. That sounds like a really good package. I don't think they offer 7 firsts because I think they like MPJ a lot. But it's probably, it would probably be something like 2 or 3 firsts. Maybe a couple pick swaps. But after the Harden trade... I think you can go a little wild with with picks. Like Drew Holiday on an expiring deal got traded for five firsts. And James Harden was four four firsts, four swaps. So I think you can potentially get five or six firsts and a couple of swaps for Bradley Beal, who leads the league in scoring. And yeah, general managers have kind of just figured out that draft picks really aren't that valuable unless you're picking in the lottery. And even if you are picking in the lottery, Unless you're picking, like, top 5 to 10, it's it's rough. Like, you you don't find a ton of guys outside of that range. You take flyers on guys past that range. Like, I, I don't even know how to pronounce the guy who OKC took this year. Poku something? Alexi Poku or something? I don't know how to say his name. Giannis was one of the guys they took the flyer on, and it ended up very successfully. I think he was taken 15th overall. But... If you're not picking in the lottery with a surefire star anymore, all that's going to end up happening is the stars that currently play for you demand trades because that's the NBA we currently are at. <laughs> if, the te- if teams are not up to standard, then your stars are gone. And stars all want to play with each other. They're all best friends. There's not a really a competitive edge anymore. So super teams are going to become more and more common. I was kind of hoping Westbrook and Beal made for an appealing enough duo to make us the next super team destination from a promising wing. I was kind of hoping we would offer a sign and trade for Giannis, but then he assigned a Supermax extension. So that's never happening, but maybe a young wing who is edged out, maybe like a John Collins who is a restricted free agent this coming off season. And we have no money, but a sign and trade is still possible. Potentially especially with a restricted free agent, like we saw Atlanta just executed with uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. So I think a sign-in trade could still be viable with a guy like John Collins. I don't know what his market is right now. It kind of feels like they drafted his successor when they took Yeka Okonwu. They're very similar sizes for the position they play. They're both power forward center hybrids. John Collins, I think, is a little more gifted offensively. Than uh, Onyeka Okungwu, who I really wanted on the Wizards. Uh, but I'm happy with Denny, so that's cool with me. If Colin says he wants the max, like Chad is telling me, I don't think he'll get it. I don't. He's a 20-10 and 10 player, so there is the potential he'll get it. I don't know if the market for him is that high. You'd probably have to trade Bertans for him. Hopefully, Bertans picks up his shooting, so his uh, so his value goes back up because the way he started this year was not good. A lot of that uh, we can attribute to him not playing a ton in Latvia. He didn't play fi- he didn't play five on five in Latvia at all, and he spent I think seven months in Latvia. From the restart, he didn't play in the bubble until he got back for training camp in December. It makes sense that he was out of shape. It makes sense that his shooting stroke is not as smooth because he doesn't have the legs under him. But it felt like 10 or 11 games into the season, he should have been a little more in shape than he was. I think, I'm not going to say he wasn't diligent about his uh, about his conditioning in Latvia, because I don't know. We were in a pandemic, and it's hard to say that stuff. But if you're getting paid $16 million average annual value, you got to step up. You can't be coming to training camp completely out of shape, waiting 15 games, and probably this break, hopefully, hold on, he was one of the ones with COVID, so he's also not using this break to to get his conditioning back. Matter of fact, it might make it worse. I had COVID back in November, and I'm still struggling to get my uh, my lungs back under me, but with NBA athletes, with the amount of training and money invested into them, I'm sure they have at least some semblance of how to get back in shape after COVID. So hopefully he's all right. Hopefully he has his shooting legs back under him soon. So even if he's not playing amazing for us, he at least becomes a trade asset for a third star like John Collins. So let's, let's keep on the COVID thing. So, apparently, the NBA continues to operate under the assumption that games themselves cannot be transmissions of COVID. I don't understand how that is possible to even have as an assumption when you consider Ben Standig loves to say this all the time, but it's a bigger... Trans, playing basketball is a bigger source of, of COVID transmission than riding on an airplane. And if that's the case, when you have guys passing around a, uh, a germ-infested ball, spit flying everywhere when going to the paint, getting right up into guys' chests uh, on defense, getting within, getting up in everybody's personal space. That's what you got to do in a basketball court. There is no possible way. Playing in games is not a transmitter of COVID-19. When you take into account that I think there was a four- or five-game stretch after every Wizards game, an opposing player had a positive test or was put into uh, health and safety protocols, something has got to change. I think it was the Nets, the Celtics, the Suns, and one other... Well, the Suns, because we had positive tests, they had to go into health and safety protocols for contact tracing purposes. But I think the Celtics, the Nets, the Sixers, and one other team all had positive tests the day after we played them. And I was speculating even then, I think we might have a positive, uh, somebody on the team with the virus and it's, it does not look good for us. Then two days later, we had six positive tests. (laughs) So the NBA has to figure out something. This was the league that was innovative enough to figure out a bubble format. The bubble format, was a huge success. Nobody in the bubble had COVID. They played without it. Uh, they played without having to fear it for a whole month, including the playoffs. They allowed players to have their families in. There's not really a way to replicate a bubble for an entire season. But it might be worth a try. I don't know how expensive it would be. I don't, I don't want to spend the NBA's money for them or tell them what to do. They're going into the bubble with the G League. They could easily do it again with the actual NBA. You won't be able to have a full 72-game schedule, so you'll probably have to finish out the first half of the year, then go into the bubble after for the second half when they release the schedule. And hopefully, you won't be able to play 36 games in a bubble plus the playoffs. It might be a similar situation where you play like another 10, maybe another 15 at the most. But players, I don't think, especially with players with... Some mental health concerns, I think is the most gentle way to put it. Like Kyrie Irving, who needed a few days of a break, which I can understand. I think it I can understand how life in the NBA could be a lot for somebody. But it's I don't know what a perfect solution would be. The NFL did an, a fantastic job of COVID which is crazy because of how big their roster sizes are and the sizes of their coaching staffs. You would think if the NFL was able to keep them in check, the NFL would do a slightly better job of it. But even if you're even comparing just the two sports, not even the two leagues, just the two sports, football's played outside in a giant arena, 100-yard field, or a 120-yard field, like if you include the end zones. And there's room to space on the sideline. In the NBA, you're playing on an indoor court within very close proximity of each other without any facial protection, without any masks, without anything for 48 minutes. Even when you're on the bench, you would see a lot of guys just kind of pull it down. I remember Troy Brown Jr. I saw pull down his vest to celebrate off the bench several times, which I guess is his only use as a teammate since he not very, he's not been very useful on the court this year, frankly. I think a lot of that has to do with Scott Brooks' usage of him. He's a backup point guard where we're playing a backup shooting guard without the ball, which doesn't make any sense. But I digress. The NFL did a fantastic job of it. And the NBA, I was expecting to do a fantastic job of it. But they've stunk. They've had plenty of positive tests. And now 16 games, I believe it is, today, uh, as of today, suspended. I don't know how you're going to make up all these games. I don't see how the Wizards are going to play 72 games this season unless they extend the season somehow. But that throws off your entire league calendar, so I don't see that happening either. It's just a a tough situation, and unfortunately, the Wizards got the brunt of it. I don't know. I don't want to speculate that any player did any wrongdoing. Hopefully, it was just kind of an accident, and then it ended up this way. But now we can go back to basketball because COVID stinks. So since we lost Thomas Bryant for this season and we released Anzez Sneaks, we need another big. Mo Wagner has been playing pretty well this season. And Robin Lopez has been playing not so great this season. And there's not a lot on the free agent market for centers. And I don't know how free agency really works with COVID. But there are a bunch of free free agent bigs, some of which are good, some of which are not as good. Our old friend Jan Mahinmi. <laughs> he could easily be in play to return on our disabled player exception, which I theoretically we should get because uh, Thomas Bryant is lost for this season. Jan Mahinmi would be a good... I, I don't think he would be as bad as we think it is. We, as fans of the Wizards, kind of have a hatred of Jan Mahinmi because he was so highly paid by Ernie Grunfeld for no reason whatsoever. But a lot of people don't know this. He was team captain last year. I only know that because I was at games so frequently, but whenever they would introduce team captains, Jan Mahini was the one they introduced. He's always been a good locker room presence. He can defend the interior pretty much better uh, than... And he was always known as a good locker room presence. I think he even got uh, gifts for his entire... <laughs> for his entire... Uh, team at one point I think he can defend the interior better than Bill Wagner and anybody can defend the interior better than Robin Lopez (laughs) so but he does over foul which is a big problem this team has but he would kind of give you that interior presence and kind of an edge that the team has been looking for the same goes for Joe Kim Noah who has lost a step unequivocally very slow not very good anymore he contributed a little bit for the Clippers last year but he's I think he's a good body to have on the floor. Alex Len just got waived by the Raptors. I've always thought he was a decent big, a capable big in the NBA. Uh, He just never really got the opportunity in Toronto. That's why he was waived. We can't claim him off waivers, I don't think, money-wise. But I think we would be able to pick him up with that DPE. Uh, John Henson, another option. He was very hit or miss... (laughs) for the Bucs, and then got traded to the Pistons, and then nobody's seen him since. Same with Thon Maker, also a free agent. Either one of those guys, I don't think Thon Maker was very good, but he is a free agent, and he's young, He's on the younger side, so there is some upside there. Tyson Chandler, if you're looking for just a locker room presence, I think he's 38 years old. I don't know how much he has left in the tank. Kyle O'Quinn, I think is an interesting name. He, played, he was Denny's teammate on Maccabi Tel Aviv, I believe. Still, if I had to guess, would be a capable NBA player, as would Anthony uh, Anthony Tolliver, also a free agent. Then, as like a last resort option, Tyler Zeller's out there. I mean, he was never really that good. I think he was last with the Spurs, and I think he's around 30 years old. Maybe, but I think, and even better a name that just came to mind that I think would be interesting that I did see was available for trade and I believe is might be playing right now is JaVale McGee JaVale McGee I heard I believe is making 4.2 million dollars The disabled player exception is half of the value of the contract of the player we lost for the season which would be Thomas Bryant So Tyler uh Thomas Bryant was making 8.6 million dollars this year, which means it's a $4.3 million uh, disabled player exception. JaVale McGee is on a $4.2 million contract. And I know we don't have the fondest memories of JaVale McGee as a player, as Wizards fans, but he's come a long way. He was always kind of a raw athlete who kind of struggled with decision-making, but the decision-making stuff never really... Went away. He still had some knucklehead to him, but he's pretty good. Like he has two rings now, I believe. I think he's even he started over Dwight Howard at points last uh, uh, when Anthony Davis was hurt at points last year. I don't. Oh, Anthony Davis never started at center until the playoffs, so he probably just started for them. I still think he can be a capable interior defender and shot blocker for us and set screens well enough for him to be okay offensively. He's, I'm sure he's still athletic enough to dunk the ball, which is all we really need. That's <laughs> The only other thing Thomas Bryant was doing this year was hitting a few of his jumpers. started getting a little bit hotter from three before he went down, unfortunately. But I think JaVale gives you a lot more than you think. <laughs> I think basketball fit-wise, he would be pretty decent. He would help at least patchwork fix a lot of our... Uh, a lot of our defensive issues so maybe you trade like the dis- uh, disabled player reception and jerome robinson for Javale mcgee that way you can keep an asset like troy brown jr who i hope finds his form once again and can at least play at a decent level jan vesley was apparently in contention for euro league mvp I don't think his game translates, and I think we know that, so I don't I don't even want to talk about him any more than that. <laughs> if there are any other free agent centers available, I I do see us in contention to bring them in, but I don't see them as viable options necessarily under the DPE, or just not very talented players. Could always bring back uh, Anza's Pasha sneaks on a non-guaranteed deal again. See how that goes. <laughs> I don't think that would. <laughs> I don't think that would matter at all. He's he was not a very useful player when he was on the court. Latvian legend, though. I like to joke that he was the second best Latvian player in the league, but only behind Davis Bertans, of course. There was one other uh, Latvian player in Dallas, but you know, not as talented as Anza's Pasha sneaks or Davis Bertans. And I think with that, I'm about ready to wrap it up. So, that being said, hope you all enjoyed the show, and see you next time.